Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. The gang is all together tonight. Nick, Ryan, and I are all with you. Nick is feeling a little under the weather, so I'm taking uh, the intro off his hands tonight so you all don't have to listen to him hack up along. You can follow him on Twitter at the Coach Moose. You can follow Ryan at We Are All Shack. You can follow me at a white seven eight seven seven, and of course the show at Half Street High Heat. We are happy to have you with us this evening. How are you guys doing? You know, life is good. I'm glad to hear that. Do you have well, any? <laughs> life is good. Great weather. It's a little cold out right now, but there's no humidity, which is rather rare for DC. I had a great weekend excursion. Life is good. Who can complain? Not me. No, you never do. <laughs> I've never complained the day before in my life. Never will. It's bad for you. How about you, Nick? Are you done coughing? How are you doing? I thought I was good, and then I unmuted myself, and I had stragglers. So, uh, we're here. We're we're here. It's about what you can say for the Nats too. Like they're here. Yeah, I don't know if they're they thriving, are. but they're here. They're playing baseball or what passes right. for it these right. days. Going through the. They motions. did have one fun game in the Twin Series, so you know it wasn't yeah. all bad. That's true. Yes, and uh, we do have the quick pitch to start us off. Oh, Nick, I guess I yeah, have? I guess I do still have that. I uh, didn't didn't pass over all of my notes to Amanda, so I will handle the quick pitch. Uh, this was kind of a, a dovetail off of how I ended and how we ended our last episode, but Ryan wasn't here, so I wanted to get Ryan's thoughts because you know Ryan's going to have some opinions on the matter, so I wanted to get his take. The Washington Nationals through what 21 games mm-hmm. so far in the season so about a month you know we're recording this on april 24th so it's been about a month are they as you expected better than expected or worse than expected at this point um it's kind of funny because they are seven games under 500 their offense is egregious and they're on pace for 55 wins and i see people talking like they're having a great season like they're on pace for 55 wins and 70 home runs they're performing as expected they're not good they're not good really anywhere and i thought they're gonna win 55 games and that's what they're on pace for so i'm gonna say exactly as expected well i guess if we're going by what we predicted then they're better than i expected because i picked 51 wins no you're right they're pretty much what we thought they were going to be i mean they're not good there are 
we talked before the season started about how we needed to like enjoy the little things and, and, you know, watch the development and all of that. And if they would, you know, play the guys we want to see develop, then we'll get to do that. And uh, Stone Garrett got to play a little bit this week, which is good. Um, You know, they are what we thought they were and it's going to be an ugly season and, you know, that's okay. I can see 2025 in on the horizon. It's fine. Oh, I, I, I think that's, I think that's optimistic. I know. Well, I am the optimist around here, you know. You know how the Mayan calendar is probably the best example. It's like 2012 was supposed to be doomsday and then it came and went and they're like, oh, well, we read the calendar wrong. It's really 2014. And then that came and went and they, you know, the goalposts just kept moving. That's going to be the Nets rebuild with the, you know, blind optimists that are out there. It's like, oh, 2025 and then 2025 is going to come and go and only one prospect's going to be doing well at the time and be like, oh, it's it, this was always going to be a 2027 team. Yeah, and that's then, what everybody always said. Don't you remember? Yeah, exactly. It's like the, the gaslighting is going to be at a all time, all time high, but we'll all be dead by then. So it, it's fine. Uh, that was a call back to mine calendar. That was not me trying to be super morbid, uh, but <laughs> getting back to the quick pitch. Um, so I agree with you guys i think they're as expected just because we all had pretty low expectations coming into this my contention ryan uh if you you didn't hear uh, because you weren't here last week i am not going to die on the hill that the nats are a good team certainly not they should be much better than they are just the way the these games have been performing i'm not saying like you know they should be a 70 win team by season's end i still had i had them at 56 wins so um you know, that's kind of still where I have them at. But the fact that so the Twins series, you had a 3-2 victory and then a 3-1 loss. So the fact that the net math, 15 of the last 19 games have been decided by two runs or less. And the Nats are like 5-11 and 11 or whatever math uh, comes out to there, 5-11 uh, and 11 in those games. It's like. It, it it's not quite the same as like a one score game in football where it's just like one possession. Obviously, you know, it, it works a little bit differently in baseball, but I still can't help but feel like with some of these, um, you know, managerial decisions that like three of those wins easily could have gone our way. Mm-hmm. And that is factoring in the lack of run support that you you've gotten for um, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. I mean, Josiah Gray, the Nats have not scored a single run on offense in a single inning he's pitched this year. Like, that's absurd. And yeah, he's, it's almost, he's pitched it well. almost feels impossible. You're just like, how, right. how is like, this it, happening? It's just, it's, you know, it's one of those things, and I love Josiah Gray, so I certainly don't want this to be the case, but it's teetering on the edges. Like, how long can this go? You know, <laughs> like, not that I'm rooting for it, but... You know, but it's shit. sort of it's sort of more fascinating. Already, actually. Yeah, we're already here, so you know. Um, but yeah, my contention is like this team should be better than they are. They're not still not a good team. Like even at their best, you know, they're still probably a sixty win team. So I, I'm not trying to like, you know, die on the hill or anything. It's just frustrating that, you know, we could be better. And I'm not saying thirty games better, but we could be better, and we're not. And it's just like okay with the team and the organization because of the state of the team. And, you know, they're just kind of lack of emphasis on the matter. Like they're just letting games go, even though that's 
still important. And I don't know, it's, it's just kind of a weird thing. And again, uh, people are probably yelling at their car, headphones, whatever they're listening to, blaming like the roster. Yeah, the roster is to blame too, but I'm not just blaming Davey at this point. I'm blaming everybody. Like the general manager has to put a, a competitive team on the field and he didn't do that. Like if you look at someone like Joey Gallo, who was very much available, lefty, power bat, reclamation project, would not have to commit like a, a long-term huge deal to. He is having a hell of a season. And by himself, would he have won five or six of those one-score games? No, probably not. But could he have won two or three by himself? Yeah, because the Nats already were within one or two runs in that game. If they had a long ball to like spark their offense, which is what happened on Friday night, Joey Manessis finally hit a home run, and then all of a sudden the Nats remembered how to hit or that they were even allowed to hit, like that could swing things. And it's just they didn't even take that chance. They decided to go to a Corey Dickerson who. Well, we'll get to. Corey. Yeah, we'll get to that. But they also went to a Dom Smith who hasn't had an extra base hit all year and hasn't had a home run in two years. It's like, what kind of spark is he going to provide? It, it, and like the list just goes on and on and on. And I'm not trying to dive into that argument or debate again or anything like that. It's just. Like I'm trying to, I have mentioned this before. I'm trying to change my mindset on the team, um, and it's frustrating to see like that we could be better, and nothing's really going to change that because they're just so incredibly complacent that it hurts. Yeah, even if even with this roster, they could be playing better than what they are, and that is frustrating. On a, on a slightly related note, how weird is it to see Joey Gallo in a Twins uniform? Well, it's not even that. It's also like. Cody Bellinger is having a good year too. Mm -hmm. Like these reclamation lefty power bat projects that, you know, we all said, Oh, definitely worth a shot. It's like most of them are paying off and you're just like, what the hell, man? <laughs> like that's kind of yeah. what we wanted. And not that I think they it's not would... what the team wanted though, because they don't want anything that's going to cost them any money right now. They're not interested in trying to be good. Obviously. I mean, you can tell by the off season moves or lack of moves that they really aren't trying to be good. They're not trying to be like, let's be the best team we can without breaking the bank. They're just not trying to be good because this year isn't about that, which we knew, but it's still frustrating to watch it play out, even if you know. Yeah, the execution with what they do have is terrible, and what they do have was terrible to be terrible to begin with. So it's both parties are to blame, but now that the roster's set, I, I can only go off what we have, right? And right. the execution and just game plan and preparedness it's just it's all bad there's no like redeeming factor here yeah i mean we knew it was going to be a hard year to watch and it is but you know lucky for all of you people listening we'll watch for you <laughs> so you can just listen to us talk about it if you can't bear to watch um let's do ryan's week in review the week in reviews back i didn't have one two weeks ago because i forgot i didn't have one last week because i wasn't here that's okay we're back the Week in Review is back in your lives. So sit back, relax, and get caught up on baseball. It was another amazing week of baseball, but not for everyone. Especially if you're trying to throw a perfect game. Drew Smiley lost his perfect game this week in the eighth inning when Jan Gomes, for some reason, tackled him. That happens. <laughs> you know, it wasn't his day. And then Spencer Strider almost had a almost had a perfect game. But then Matt Olson kind of just kicked the ball, and he lost his perfect game. 
So we may never see one again. Felix Hernandez, you are still the last perfect game. It may be for a very long time. It also was not a good week. You're an Oakland fan. Sorry, guys. Um, Your team hates you. The Oakland A's announced that they have agreed on a site for a stadium in Las Vegas. Yes, this is the sixth time that Oakland has announced that they have an agreement on land, but this time it does seem real. Rob Manfred today spoke on the situation. He says he feels bad for Oakland A's fans, but it's not their billionaire owner's fault who took $500 million in local subsidies and their tax money did absolutely nothing with it and refused them to invest in the team. It's the local government's fault for not wanting to give them a new stadium, and that is what drove them away. Don't worry, A's fans. It gets better. The A's minus 103 run differential in their first 20 games is the worst run differential in MLB history through that span. They're also on pace to smash the run differential record by 400 runs. And they're off to the worst start in franchise history. On the other end, the Pirates are off to a fantastic start and their best start since 2013. They have the best record in the National League. It will be as looking at expansion for two possible additions. Salt Lake City is reportedly the front runner. Salt Lake City will take Forest Field's part as the highest stadium in the league. Shohei Otani is reportedly set to become available if the Angels are out of contention by the trade deadline. He'll get a otherworldly return because he's having a pretty damn good year. Hitters do not have a hit facing Otani for the third time through the order. And he also has a sub. 0.6 ERA. He's kind of good. To the east! In fifth place are the Nationals. We'll talk more about them here in a moment. In fourth place are the now surging, quote, surging Phillies. They took three of four from the Rockies, and they were playing better after a dreadful start. Brandon Marsh took a big step forward that the team desperately needed after all of their injuries. He leads the league in OPS. Phillies host the Mariners next. They are 11 and 12. In third place are the 12 and 10 Marlins. Nothing really exciting about them. They're 12 and 10. I don't really know what they're doing, but they're 12 and 10. Uh, they do have Arias, though, and he is hitting over 500, and he has the highest batting average to the start of the season since Barry Bonds in 2004. They are playing the Mets. Sorry, excuse me. They're playing the Braves as we speak. In second place are the 14 and 9 Mets, and we have our first keeping up with the Mets of the season. Max Scherzer guy ejected. You guys remember him? He used to play for the Nats. Max Scherzer got ejected for an illegal su substance, allegedly. On his hand, he is now suspended 10 games. The Mets are now without Max for being suspended. And Verlander, who hurt his armpit. This would be a lot funnier if uh, Max wasn't targeted by the umpire. And it would be a lot funnier if the Mets weren't playing so well. The Mets won 7 of 10 on their West Coast road trip. And they are just only half a game back. They have the Nats this week. In first place are the 14-8 and eight Braves. The, Bra the Braves blew a four-game division lead with 140 games to go. I do not know how they bounce back from that. They got swept at home by the Astros, which is a reminder, no matter how good you think you are, the Astros are better than you. Uh, and now they have lost four straight games. Their division lead is only half a game left. Don't know how they're going to be able to hold on to that with 140 games to go. Spencer Strider takes the mound tonight, and I already talked about he almost had a perfect game as they try to stop their slide and rebound before they take on the Mets later in the week. This has been your week in review. All right. Yeah. So lots going on this week. Um, the interesting thing about that story with Max was that 
I didn't realize only three pitchers have been ejected for illegal substances since they started the enforcement on the sticky stuff. And they've all been ejected by the same umpire, which is just a little bit weird. All, all by the same umpire. And like, right. if you watch those, like the Mad Bum one, he was having a power trip. Like he was just staring Mad Bum down, wanting him to react. Yeah, like, yeah, like Mad Dog and him trying to get him to. Yes. Yeah, it was really weird behavior from that up. And then he kind of did the same thing to Max. Like he like shoved Max's glove into his chest, which like Max is a freak. He's not going to take too kindly to that. No. I don't know. It was sweat and rosin. I don't think it's illegal. I don't. I don't know. I, it, it smells a little too fishy for me for me to enjoy it. Yeah, I feel like Max is the kind of guy who will push it exactly to the edge, but not over it. So I'm sure he had, like, probably had stuff on his glove. He probably pushed it right, you know, but again, sweat and rosin, like, you're allowed to have that. It's right on the mound. And uh, obviously, I'm a, I'm a Max fan, so maybe I'm not an objective person looking at this. But, um, yeah, that was a really, really weird situation. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, like, so rosin obviously legal, sweat obviously legal, sunscreen also legal. If you mix sunscreen and rosin, you get a very sticky substance, and that's using two perfectly legal, you know, substances within baseball. And then, you know, sweat and rosin, you get the same effect, not quite to that degree, but just pointing that out as an example of two things that are perfectly legal for MLB pitchers to use. And if they happen to mix, then you get a sticky substance. And then if you get a a power trip umpire, like you can get tossed, even though it's just, you know, it's all arbitrary. Like, yeah, they're trained to look for sticky stuff, but you know, if you're not going to look at the whole picture, right. Then, then what's the point you're just using your judgment. And we, I've clearly seen the umpires lack a, a fair amount of, of judgment here and they have no feel or awareness for the games like at all. So it's it just kind of frustrating and I get where Max is coming from. I mean, this is the same pitcher who was about to drop his pants on the field because he was so tired of the umpires checking him and all this stuff. And yeah, he's I, an insane person. So yeah. And I don't blame him. Like the umpires are just ridiculous. So I, I don't know. I think the the answer is to just pre-tack the baseballs or just say like, I, I don't know the perfect example for it. Maybe like you can only go to pine tar once every at bat or something, but like get allowed, like monitor or regulate the sticky stuff. Like rather than spider tech, spider tech was like too far in that direction. Right. I, or just I understand what that. baseball should do is come up with, a sticky substance that well, that's what I mean. are allowed to yeah. have, just give it to them. Yeah, it just doesn't give it to have them to be say, pine tar right. specifically, but yeah. Right, they, and you don't have to mix your own. sweat with it. Like, just give them something that you that everyone agrees is a reasonable amount of stickiness and right. leave it at that. Like, this whole thing has gotten way out of hand. Yeah, and this isn't even going to be the first time because, again, like, rosin, sweat, sunscreen, all legal. If they just happen to mix it, whether you're, you know, there's intent behind it or not, even if they just happen to mix it's going to create a sticky substance. And then that the umpires like they, the umpires are viewing it black and white are, is it sticky or is it not? And if it is, you're going to get tossed and then automatically suspended for 10 games, even though all the substances are perfectly legal. Like it's yeah. just, it's too, you're leaving too much power in the umpire's hands for a rule that should be pretty straightforward. And it's just not straightforward, which sucks. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in the week in review was the expansion teams. 
well, that kind of stems from the A's moving to Vegas, uh, which scummy, scummy move. It, mm-hmm. You know, it is what it is. Like, I, I think the team's better, not the, the team, like the culture or anything, but I think a team in Vegas is probably better than a team in Oakland. That's no shot against Oakland. It's just the market. And we see how well Vegas teams are doing. Um, but I also like that it's happening because it opens the door for expansion, which I think two expansion teams would be really good for baseball and having 32 teams just makes sense. Every other league has it. Um, I did not realize Salt Lake city was the favorite. I know they were in the conversations, but, um, that's kind of interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know how you guys feel about Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. I know they have the Jazz, but that's about it. Like in my mock-up, I put Portland, but I guess Portland and Salt Lake City are kind of the same boat where they have NBA and then MLS, but nothing else. Um, so I guess that's kind of six one way or half a dozen the other. But I'm just really excited for the idea of a Nashville team. I think that's like by far, now that Vegas is, presumably taken that's by far and away like the city that needs a baseball team because those fans are diehard and that's just good for baseball having like uh, already kind of built-in fan base so to speak of just like loyal fans you're not gonna have to do much to attract fans to that ballpark so i i've been on the nashville train here for a while i also didn't realize that the group like the f i think it's like the music city baseball group who's charged with bringing baseball to Nashville, they already have the team name and it would be the Nashville Stars, which a little boring, but I get it because it's the music city and whatnot. But Nashville Stars, I can I can get behind it. I don't hate it. I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but I don't hate it. But I'm still on the I I love the idea of Nashville. Um, you know, Salt Lake City doesn't do anything for me, but like whatever. I still um I'm still liking Remember when we did the, if we made our own baseball Yes, Vancouver's like, not going to get a team, Amanda. No, I'm talking about New Orleans. I still think oh. New Orleans, like what was the voodoo, right? That was Monty's name. Yeah, that New was Orleans Monty's. Voodoo. Like that would be awesome. I think New Orleans would be an awesome place to have a baseball team. I it's just, such a cool city and you'd, you'd have a lot yeah. of guys that want to play there. You'd have, it'd be, fans would travel there. Yeah, I think that would be a really, and there's just so much personality in that that town i think that would be a really fun addition to major league baseball the, but they don't seem to be really in the contention for now nah. the the issue is all the better cities are on the east coast i think nashville new orleans and charlotte would all be better than anything on the west coast again now that vegas is taken mm-hmm. but i know they're gonna go one east coast and one west coast just to kind of divvy up everything and I think now with the A's moving, they're going to try to get something out there to, you know, a peace fan. I don't know what their random thought process is, but I like how the NHL did it, did it where they did just Vegas and Seattle, just the two best suited cities. Right. And um, didn't really worry about geography. Right, and I still and think didn't Vancouver work... would be cool because another Canadian <laughs> team would be cool. Oh, yeah. Um, but like if you look at MLB in, in particular, like Washington was last um team to move they cut out of the braves and orioles territories and then if you add like a nashville that's going to cut out of more of the braves and, and maybe some of the ohio teams um and then if you add a charlotte that really cuts out of the braves and even the nats who are the newest franchise so it's like if you add too many east coast teams that's you know chopping up the fans too much maybe yeah yeah so i think they're definitely going to go at least one west coast team um, it's another good argument nashville for new in. orleans why? 
because there's not as many teams in that area I guess that's that they'd fine. be taken away from, you know? I mean, Louisiana, I guess, is probably rooting for the Texas teams, but. Louisiana, like, their economy is just not great right now. Not that anyone's is, but I don't know if they could even support a team right now. Yeah, that's true. Although I kind of feel that way about Vegas. I mean, I, I know that the, the, the Golden Knights are doing really well, but well, I don't the, know that. The Vegas just gets the benefit because of all the tourists. Gave the mob. That too. Um, yeah. So with all the tourists, they're just going to get people who buy cheap tickets just to go do something other than gamble. But then when they're there, they're going to gamble on games, which is also good for baseball. So, yeah. yeah. It'll be interesting to see a play. I'm just excited to have two more teams. I just think it's going to be fun. I was thinking about it today, and I think if you go to 32 teams, you're going to need an 18 playoff, which is fine. Like, But it's just it's still annoying to me that we have seven right now. Seven just seems like such a weird, random number, and I hate it. I'd rather <laughs> right. it be six right now, but that, that's Fair enough. They're going to go in the direction of more, not less, though. Yeah, no, they're definitely going to go to eight, eight, an 18 playoff. All right. So what do we have next? We're going to go to the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're the host. Yeah, I guess I am tonight, aren't I? Okay. Well, let's start with the good. Um, Keybear Ruiz. Keybear or Keeper? I keep hearing it both ways. How K, are you guys saying K-Bear. it? Keybear. Keybear, right? No T at the end. I I'm not, I'm not pronouncing the T. the T. That seems like overly white to do. In, yeah, I feel like they wouldn't Spanish, do it in Spanish, Hispanic, right? Yeah. Keybear. You, you is, don't pronounce the end of the T. Unless I hear it directly from him, how to say like you pronounce the T. I'm not pronouncing the T. I keep but. hoping at some point he'll he'll just help us all out and tell us how to say it, but maybe he has and I didn't catch it. But K Bear Ruiz, um, what do you guys think? What you know? Him. Much... Him. All right. T- tell us. Tell us your thoughts, Ryan. He's him. Um, great week for Ruiz. Last seven games, he's slashing three twenty one, three twenty one on base. And his average. That's beautiful. That's how it should be. Um, with a 393 slugging, he's not doing much of walking or extra base hits, but he's being productive, which you love to see. He does have four RBIs in the last seven games, which might be like half the runs they've scored in that span because his team hasn't really scored a lot of runs lately, besides that one game in Minnesota. Um, but no, he's he's doing well. His swing decisions. Still don't really know what he's swinging at half the time. That's kind of a problem this entire team continues to face. But he is continuing to make good contact, which is really good to see. Um, he's kind of kind of mastering that little bloop single that just turns into a double. Sorry, bloop single. How silly of me. He he he's mastering that bloop that just like lands for a double and drives a run in, which I it works. Hanging around thing. Dom Smith too much. And well, Don Smith can't hit that. Well, let's let's relax there. <laughs> so yeah, he's him. I really hope this is his coming out party where he can kind of build on it. Do want to see him walk more, but he's being very productive with the bat despite not walking, which is very good to see. Yeah, I my big thing with him is again not to dredge up another argument that we're going to continue to have because it's continuing to be a problem is give him a consistent spot in the lineup. Like sometimes he's hitting six, sometimes he's hitting fifth, sometimes he's hitting fourth, sometimes he's hitting second. It's like we know him more than anybody is a foundational pillar. Like they backed it up, put the money where the mouth is and gave him a long contract. Like why are we still kind of putting him 
everywhere. And I guess it's been less of a issue as of late because Davey, we bullied successfully bullied Davey into not hitting Dom Smith second anymore. So it's not as much of an issue. If he's hitting second, third or fourth consistently, that's fine. But like just the the constant back and forth and he's been playing a lot, which again, I, I don't mind. But when you're playing a lot and you're doing something different every day, like it's hard to build a routine like you specifically with catchers, like with the way they platoon, typically you want to give them the set roles and set kind of, you know, routines, like I said, so that way they can succeed and they don't have to like adjust on the fly. But of the 21 games, he's played in 18 of them like, it, you know, so. I don't know why they would consistently move him around, but it is good to see that he's finally starting to swing the bat a little bit more. The walks, as Ryan mentioned, you would like to see go up as you would with most people. Uh, but as long as he's hitting, that's what matters. And, you know, he's not going to necessarily jump to um, like an 850 OPS. I don't know if he'll ever get there, but, you know, as long as we're seeing like progress, that's all we ask for. We're not asking for like uh, an astronomical leap here. We're just asking that he's better than last year and we'll be happy. Yeah, he's 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 kind of an enigma right now. Like when you look at his stats, he's like bottom of the league in a lot of stuff, you know, like exit velocity and hard hit and there and Blue walks. Singles. Yeah, he's just but he's he's in a 99th percentile for K percentage and the 97th for whiff percentage. Like he's really it, it's what you said, Ryan, like you just don't really know what he's doing at the plate. It seems to be working for him right now. He had a good week. But he's he's very hard to he's very hard to figure out right now. But I do hope that this is the the coming well, out year for him that he makes some improvements. But he's he's tough to he's tough to figure. We we talked about before the year. The thing with him that I really wanted to see is his swing decisions were just weird. Like he swings a lot, which is fine. You're not going to strike out a lot because his contact rate was high. But you're going to make a lot of weak contact, which we've seen the Nats do a lot since Darnell Coles has taken over. This team swings a lot. They don't make good contact. He needs to cut cut back on that. Swing less. You swing less, yes, the strikeouts are going to go up, but his power is going to come back. Because the power still really isn't there. He turned on that one ball opening weekend, but he doesn't really have a home run since. No one on his team has power. So that's, that's all I want to see from him, is as this year goes on, strike out more. Like, you're not going to hear that much, but, like, Ruiz needs to strike out more. Because if he is, that swing percentage is going to come down. He's going to stop chasing. He's going to stop rolling over, hit that ground ball to second base. He does 25% of the time. And the power will come back. That's all we want to see from him. This was a good week. We really want to see more of the power. Granted, playing in Minnesota, it was ice cold, pitcher's park. But we aren't seeing that swing decision that really, really will be key to his offensive development i apply the same logic to specifically luis garcia and the stone garrett as well plus the entire team tbh well yes that's true (laughs) but i just mean them in particular because of their power potential like cj abrams hit a home run we'll talk about that but like he's not a power profile guy so you don't want him striking out as much because you know you won't get that even trade-off or that worth it trade-off for like the power potential um but garcia garrett and ruiz they do have that power potential not that they're going to be you know 30 home run guys perennially but you know they they could hit some pop or hit some pop they have some pop they could hit some home runs um so if they strike out some i I don't mind 
as much as long as you know it doesn't become a like a bad habit where they're just chasing pitches out of the zone and stuff like that. I want them to Ryan's point striking out because they're taking more pitches and they're looking for the pitch to hit as opposed to just swinging at whatever's thrown at them. Like there's a difference in the way you strike out. Like we talk about the process, right? If the process is good, I, I will live with the result, but right now the process hasn't always been good. And that goes to individual player approaches as well. Like Luis Garcia rooting for him. Uh, I know Ryan and I both, and without even discussing it, both had him like as our breakout candidate, uh, like back in February, way before spring trading even started, um, that, you know, we were high on what Luis Garcia could do, but you, you look at him in some at bats and he's like way out on his front foot, just like lunging at pitches, like almost like he's like trying to do the Ichiro, Ichiro slap hit thing. And it's like, that's, that's not your game, brother. Like that sit back and drive the ball. And I get sometimes he's just overmatched, whether it be a lefty or a hard throwing righty or whatever. But, you know, you know, for a fact, your best, you know, your your strength is hitting high fastballs, like hunt high fastballs, like, I mean, like have an approach. And that that's what I mean. Um, like I, I will make that trade. But right now, the process isn't always sound. And so you would like to see that cleaned up a little bit. But to those those points like um garcia and garrett both had two strikeouts yesterday We're recording this on monday so sunday they both had two strikeouts but they both had a walk as well so it's like okay they're still finding ways to get on base that to me is still that's fine that's like a push that's not like a bad game it's not a good game it's push they're still working a walk but striking out I, i'll live with it especially with the t- state of the team is what i can't stand is people will be like oh stone garrett oh for six with four k's this this series what did you want? What did you expect him to hit over 500 the entire year? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, and that's the thing that really drives me insane. Um, but I'm trying to just focus on the process and not too much of the results, because if we focus on the results, like we'll all go mad. Um, and who knows, we might go mad anyways, but anyway, we'll, yeah, we're, 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 we're on the good segment. I'm not trying to tangent off this. Go ahead, Amanda. All right, we are going to go next to uh, Joey Manassas, who played hero by ending the twenty-four oh. inning, the twenty-four inning scoreless streak for the Nats with his first home run of the year in the uh, was it the second game of the Twin Series or the first, first game, first game, the first one. Yeah. So, uh, what do you guys think about Joey? This oh. week? He's in the good. You got to say something nice. Those are the rules. Um, you're you're going to notice a trend here. So this week he hit three twenty-three. With a 323 on base and a 484 slugging. Why don't these people walk? <laughs> um, yeah, Joe Joey was off to a dreadful start, which was really great for my agenda. It wasn't gonna last. Joey's just a line drive hitter. Like line drives are gonna start dropping more times than not. And they did this week, which is good for the Nats to see, considering they are gonna keep batting him in the middle of the order, which I'm more fine with. Like it's fine. He shouldn't be him there. But this was a good week for him. You knew him turning that corner was going to come because, like I said, he is a consistent line drive hitter. Those are going to drop more times than not. And they were. Um, yeah, and that'll be the only time I ever say anything halfway decent about Joey. All right. Nice work. Way to find something nice to say. Yeah, I mean, he's the one where I'm okay, like 
hitting him in the middle of the order despite the struggles just because of the makeup of his team. He doesn't walk a lot. He's not fast. He chases pitches. Uh, he has a decently high whiff percentage, but he has a good hard hit percentage. He you know doesn't strike out a ton compared to like his potential. Like he's not like an Adam Dunn, for instance. Um, barrel percentage is pretty good. Like th- there's potential there, power wise, in in the middle of the order, and you just don't have a ton of that. And you knew he wasn't going to stay down forever and he was going to get a home run and he was going to have the four for six game that he had on Saturday. Uh, it's just the consistency is the the real like issue here because then he turned around and went over four on Sunday. So it's just like, you know, we can't expect players to be their best every single at bat, but you would like to have seen him like at least get on base on Sunday to like prove that he really turned the corner. But now we're, just wondering if it was just a hot series or if this is actually going to stick. Yeah, I it, you know, it's hard to say. Everybody wants to look at what he did towards the end of last year as indicative, but it was not a very big sample size and, you know, it was a different lineup around him and I don't know. I mean, it's nice to see him improve. I mean, he had a really bad start and he had a good week and uh, you know, I'll take it, but I I don't I guess I'll say I'm just going to withhold judgment. I don't know whether what we saw at the beginning, you know, for the first few weeks of the season is, is what we're going to see for the rest of the year. Or if what we saw this week is going to be what we see for the rest of the year. Obviously I hope it's that second thing, but I guess, you know, another, if he can, he can perform for another two or three weeks and and put some consistency together, then, you know, maybe I'll update my file on that. But for now I'm, I'm firmly in the meh camp on Manassas right now. Which is probably the right place to be. (laughs) Probably so. Okay, let's talk Mason Thompson. Um, he is, I mean, he's That's my guy. really good. Yeah, he is. He's uh he's having quite a year so far. Um, ERA right now is 1.15. Um, the whip is 0. 0.638. I mean, he's he's looking good. Trade bait right there. Whoa. Uh-uh. Trade bait. Good word, Amanda. Stand by it. Uh, all right. Well, I, I guess I, I know that Nick doesn't want to see him go, but I guess we'll see what happens. No, every, everyone on this team should be traded. They have nothing. But Mason, Mason Thompson, he's looked really good. We talked about him before the season, um, and he's got some great stuff. And so far through 15 innings, the stuff's looked great. He's not getting hit hard, which is great because he does throw hard. That sounds silly, but you throw hard, you're going to give a lot of hard contact because you mm-hmm. make it. The power's right there. Um, his average exit velocity is 84 miles against. His WOBA is 203, which is fantastic. His expected WOBA is a little above that, so some regression might come, but it's not too crazy above, which is absolutely fantastic to see. He has a 1.8 walk percentage, which is about 7% better than league average. Absolutely fantastic to see. He has not given up a hit on his fastball all year. His expected batting average on his fastball is 0.67 so his fastball it's pretty good guys are not hitting it he hasn't given up a hit on his curveball expected batting average on that is 0.24 guys are hitting 133 against his slider guys are hitting 226 against his sinker they're teeing off on his sinker clearly trash there don't know what he's doing but if you look more at it you know his weak contact percent is seven percent that's twice the league average which is so good to see 
Solid contact percentage is slightly above league average, which is funny because he's not really getting hit hard. So that's just one of those weird things that will even out as the season goes on. His barrel percentage is well below league average. He's not giving up barrels. That's all fantastic to see. Then you look at his run value. He has four plus pitches. Sinker run value is two runs better than league average. His slider run value is three runs better than league average. His fastball is one run better than league average. And his curveball is exactly league average. Your worst pitch is league average. You're going to be doing pretty well. This is a really, really great development. I'm very, very excited to see that Mason Thompson is having a fantastic start to this year. Yeah, and to Ryan's last point, like his two best pitches in terms of run value are the two he throws by far and away the most. Like his four-seam fastball, he's only thrown 11 times this year. And keep in mind, he's a reliever, so he's not going to be way up there in, in these numbers, but he's only thrown his four-seam 11 times this year and his curveball eight times this year. So the fact that his best pitches, so to speak, are the ones he's using most often is, you know, that's that's how you want it, right? Whereas, like, someone like Josiah Gray, like, hey, maybe you should throw your four-seam fastball a little bit less, right? Even though, you know, it seems to be different every single game. Mason Thompson has, like, probably the only, like, visually appealing baseball savant page of anyone on the Nats. Like, there's mm-hmm. just so much red, and you're just like, ah, this is what it's supposed to be like. Uh, he's in 99th percentile in walk percentage, which, you know, Ryan kind of hit on that 91st percentage in barrel percentage. So a lot of weak contact 94th percentile in average exit velocity. Like it just 95th percentile in chase rate. It, it, it's beautiful. But the thing is, if you, if you don't want to look at, you know, baseball salon or anything like that, his 0.64 whip is like the thing that really stands out to me because not only does he not give up runs, the innings are pretty stress-free which is really, really nice to see because we've seen plenty of relievers over the year, like over the years, whether you want to say like Drew Storen pre, you know, Cardinal series or Rafael Soriano or any of these other, you know, high profile names in that's bullpen. Yeah, they could get the job done, but those innings were not stress free. Soriano took years off my life. Right. Like just hearing the name causes me anxiety. Whereas Mason Thompson, he's doing all this pretty quickly and efficiently but also uh how many appearances does he so he has had nine games i I believe eight of them seven or eight of them have been for multi-innings which is just crazy that he's had this much success in like yeah nine innings for 15 and two-thirds i'm sorry maybe it's six because he had a three-inning outing uh back a couple of weeks ago, but you, you get my point. More than half his appearances are at least two innings. That's that's really, really good. The the fact that he's, you know, kind of breaking the reliever stereotype, so to mm-hmm. speak, where you only go one inning now. Like typically it was off oh, the closers coming in for a four out save. That's a huge deal. Whereas he's just like, I do this in my sleep. You know, I I like going multiple innings. I do still wish he was used more as a back-end guy but i guess because they're not going to be in so many safe situations it doesn't really matter <laughs> just use him where he's most effective um but and you if can't you've argue got a guy with the you result. can go multiple innings like you know, yeah yeah a, you can't argue with the result yeah absolutely and uh you know seven and a half strikeouts per nine t- against 0. 0.6 um i mean sorry 5.2 hits per nine i mean it's it's good. It's only 0. 0.6 home runs per nine 
and 0.6 walks per nine. I mean, it, it's the numbers speak for themselves. He's just having a hell of a start to the season. So that's why I'm saying trade bait. Cause I think he's going to be, maybe he'll be our all-star because we're probably only going to get one. <laughs> I just don't think he's the guy you trade. I, I see what you're saying, but I mean, you gotta have something. Yeah. You gotta have something. Gotta have something. Okay. See, we've got a lot of stuff going on in the good. We got, how about the starting pitching? What do you guys think about what we saw this week? Everyone. We saw history. <laughs> Patrick Corbin had a quality start. He had two. He had back to back quality. He had back to back. Oh my God. Pigs are flying. The Is it 2019? Thing. What's happening? Oh my God. And it gets better. His ERA is sub six. The you man's know, back. What's Cats funny? And dogs living together. I Max tried, hysteria. I tried to like really hype him up because, you know, we've, he's the low hanging fruit. So I thought it would be like funny to really, you know, sing his praises. And so the, he's had back to back quality starts, six innings, three or less runs. The, it, uh, the start before that, he went five innings, allowed four runs, but got the win because that was against the Angels. So I was like trying to combine his last three starts because I think he's made six starts on the season. Tr- trying to combine his last three starts, like it would be some huge difference. His ERA is still 471. Like it's <laughs> the, the bar is so low for a Patrick Corbin, like sing your praises. It's just, it's yeah, like, just still don't funny. shit yourself on the mound. Right. Fine. Basically. Like, <laughs> We basically don't, we don't need much from you at this point just yeah but it was if you know if if you have a week where patrick corbin has a quality start or two in a row i mean you can't complain yeah i mean he's doing exactly what we just asked of the rest of the uh starting rotation like just eat innings just be competitive and that's what he's doing is this going to last history tells us no but but right now it's fine. Um, I'm more focused on Josiah Gray. He continues to look good, even though like I don't think he's had a single start where he's had his like best stuff, but he's still finding ways to go at least five innings. He's gone f- at least five innings in every start this year. God, I hope I didn't jinx him. Um, and then uh, aside, I'm just trying to, you know, make a point. Um, but aside from the, the opening start against the Braves, he's you know, allowed, I believe two or less runs in every single start as well. Um, so, you know, seeing him battle and being able to put up good results, even though not having his best stuff, that's great. Mackenzie Gore had a great bounce back performance after he struggled in uh, LA against the angels. Trevor Williams has been great, honestly, exactly what the nationals could have hoped for. And Chad cool is Chad cool. Like I'm not going to, you know, rag on him too much because nobody really, expect it if things had gone according to plan he wouldn't even be on the roster so it just feels kind of like really really low-hanging fruit to go after him but i mean he still pitched fine on saturday or whatever it was he just struggled with his command a little bit so he couldn't go deep into the game his pitch count got up there but he still only allowed one run in three and two-thirds so it you know it was a pretty good week from the starting pitching it was just you know the runs or the offense that was uh, the issue for them. Yeah, it, it was a great week for the starting pitching, and we need to, you know, we really need to celebrate this because they're not going to do that very often. Not going to be very oh, often no. that they, oh, have, no. they have good weeks. Um, I went to Gore's start against Baltimore, which 
I don't know. Sometimes I post photos at games. I'm actually there. Who who the funk, right? <laughs> I I went, man, this stuff is good. He had 18 swing and misses against a rather good Baltimore lineup, which again, it's fine to say, but like Doriel's lineup is good. Gore's going to be the real freaking deal if he can stop walking so many people. That's a lot easier said than done. But man, if he can get that command issue under control, he's going to be so good because that stuff is absolutely electric. Josiah, Josiah Gray continues to be my favorite enigma. That's the word the podcast. He's the definition of bend, don't break right now. He's that defense in the league where like they'll let you drive, 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 give up a field goal. You do it about four or five times a game. You're like, damn it, man. Like, how do we lose this game? He's bend, don't break right now. Great development for him. His sinker's looking pretty good. Uh, he's got 20 inches of run and 20 inches of drop. Pretty good. If he can get a little bit more consistent with his release point on that, his sinker can look a lot like Mason Thompson's where he'll just get weak contact off of it, which you do want with the sinker. It's rather fantastic. The boy, is that regression coming? Uh, the difference between Gray's FIP and XFIP is a little concerning. That's why I said we got to enjoy it now. But the results are there for Gray, and that's all that matters, and we're going to enjoy it. Yeah, Gore is in that gray boat for me where it's I don't think he's had his best stuff in any one particular start. But my God, if this is his B stuff or C stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> like we can only imagine what it's going to turn into once he does put it all together. And he's still so young. This is like his what? 10th 11th career start i don't know how many starts he made for san diego i know it's a, a couple but still like he doesn't even have a, full, have a full season under his belt he's for all intents and purposes still a rookie so it's like if this is his rookie year we're going to be just fine provided you know he continues to progress and all, all that stuff um i like the field goal analogy for josiah gray the one thing i wanted to add is the managerial decision to like continue to put him out there even though he's at like 92 pitches and clearly laboring they're like oh let's throw him out there like why just go to the bullpen it's well actually i don't i don't have a problem with that like they gotta build his arm up and he's gotta learn to do it and this is the absolute perfect time because we stink it doesn't matter no but the thing the thing is with the the start i'm referencing in particular he went 103 pitches the previous start and he clearly did not have it in the fifth but still got through it unscathed and he was at 92 pitches. Like, like the best case outcome, like he gets to 105 through, you know, a clean six inning, but he wasn't ever going to get through a clean six inning. And then he walks the first guy and Davey pulls him anyways. So it's like, yeah, if the, the goal is to stretch him out fine, but that clearly wasn't the goal that it, he was expecting. Davey was expecting Josiah to go out there and give him a competitive six inning, which, like he barely gave him a competitive fifth inning and that's not a knock on Josiah. He was just clearly tired. Like his, you can't rush the, you know, stamina process of building back up into the season. It's still early. Like it, it was his fourth or fifth star or whatever. Like you'll get there eventually, but you know, have a little feel to it as well. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the talking about managerial decisions is a conversation we're going to have. Yeah, I'm going to keep bringing it up. I'm going to yeah. stop apologizing for it. Like, I'm just going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, one more for our good segment, which is C.J. Abrams, Barrel the Baseball. History. 
history. <laughs> they robbed him last week. They took it away, and he said, I'm going to take it right back. History has occurred. It finally happened. He finally had his first barrel as a national, and we got to we gotta celebrate it. We're celebrating all the rare occurrences. Patrick Corbin, quality starts. C.J. Abrams, barrels. What a week to be a Nationals fan, man. One yeah. could say it's honestly like the best time in Nationals history to be a fan right now. I can't think of anything that's better. Nope, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> no, Abrams had a few good moments um, in the Twin Series. I mean, that one, the one game where they scored, you know, in double digits was a lot of fun. There was plenty that we had. I, it was funny to see them play so well, especially in that kind of weather. Normally, you know, you see, you see everybody's playing tight when everybody's cold. But, right. Um. Yeah. I. I think they need to install some giant freezers at Nats Park. Just. I know, honestly. And the thing I liked the most, besides the bear, obviously that was really good to see, especially with the temperatures. And it's not like the ball was carrying. So he got what would have been a fly ball, you know, turned into a home run. Like that was a, that was a shot that I think I haven't looked at the stat cast or anything, but I'm pretty sure that would have gotten out at basically every single park. Um, So it wasn't just a, a cheap cheap shot but i liked how he followed it up too and that's going to be a recurring theme for every episode we do like how these players follow up good performances um because you know we need consistency like a game a series is good but we really need consistency he came back in a game where the nationals only had seven base runners on sunday he accounted for two of those times with a walk and a hit so like things like that i hope uh, you know i hope to continue to see ideally so that he can take over that leadoff spot sooner rather than later because Alex call ain't it. And I'll talk about him in a little bit, but he ain't it. Lane Thomas ain't it. So I don't think CJ Abrams is it right now. I think they should be hitting them, hitting him there anyways, but that's another conversation. I just hope he continues to earn it, so to speak. So that way he can take over that spot sooner rather than later. He had a really great defensive play too. That one reason yeah, running out into the outfield and um, made that basket catch. Mm-hmm. That sure one was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, that was the good. We had a lot of good to talk about. Um, just one thing for our bad, a bad section is the run support or lack thereof and the offense overall. I mean, with the exception of that one nice game where the bats kind of came alive, it's been pretty ugly. It's the only thing that saved it. Otherwise, it would have been ugly. But yeah. Saturday's performance kind of saved them. But it's, if you still wanted to call it ugly, that's more than warranted. Yeah, I'm well, it's the only thing in our bad section, so we'll just leave it there. <laughs> oh, it's it, it's bad. The offense it's stinks. Bad. It's bad. Which, which is what we expected. Like, look, looking at the runs for the week, uh, zero, zero. They got shut out in the Orioles series. They scored three runs, then 10 runs, then one run. That's not good. It's not great. Um, after about 20 games, uh, they're 14th in average. It was. They're 18th in on-base, 27th in OPS, 26th in runs, dead last in home runs, 24th in stolen base. They were Babbitt merchants for a while. The Babbitt is coming down. Now it's closer to league average. So this is kind of them. This is the offense we're going to see throughout pretty much the entire season. And when you look at the lineup, it's what we expected coming into the year. Not a lot of power. You know, Darnell Coles is going to love those ground balls. He's going to want that stuff. Team's gonna hit a lot of singles. They're gonna hit a lot of ground balls. It's gonna be a lot of weak contact. There's gonna be a lot of games where they just struggle to produce any runs, and it's gonna be a little stinky. 
it's yeah. yeah it's bad it just it is what it is and we can talk about it as much as we want to but like Brian said it's kind of what we expected it's just frustrating that you know anyone could see this anyone could see this coming and this is still the result we get so that that's the frustrating part and there's also things that they could do to improve their potential situation but they seem averse to doing that and by they i mean davy uh there's those managerial decisions again um so it, it it is what it is it's just frustrating when we're getting like decent starting pitching and really good bullpen bullpen pitching and this is still the result like if only we had semi-competent offense and like hey we could find ourselves winning a couple of these games rather than just losing five in a row or whatever yeah my favorite um when i was looking at stats on the offense was the the woba is 294 and uh the expected woba is also 294 so, which is the bottom 3% of the league. And um, this so, is them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It's not like they're getting unlucky. It's not like, you know, we should expect something different. Like this is them. And, and uh, it's, you know, what we can probably expect to see going forward. It's not a good offense. Um, you know, hopefully we get some good moments and we can see, you know, as we've already talked about, see some development from the guys who matter for the future, like Garcia and Ruiz and, um, you know, less of the guys who aren't part of the future. But again, that's lineup decisions and that's not really the conversation we're having. But uh, yeah, the, the offense is bad. Uh, let's go on to the ugly, <laughs> which we have to start with Dom Smith. That has been a, it, it's been an absolute disaster. Well, go, go Ryan, do it. Yeah, Dom Smith sucks. Like, I just, oh my God, it makes me so, I mean, I didn't mean to cut you off so abruptly. I, I do apologize. <laughs> okay. But it's just like, you, you know, when your dog sees a squirrel and they start barking and like they're trying to run and you're trying to hold them back on the leash, trying to contain them. That's basically me when I hear Dom Smith's name. What I the hell is he so, doing here? What the hell is Dom Smith doing here? God almighty. I can, I'm so tired of him. He sucks. And the fact that he was brought here to be a run producer, which I don't know if you guys saw, there was a Washington Post article today about Dom Smith and they talked about how the Nats expect him to produce runs in the middle of the lineup. He hasn't hit a home run since July 21st, 2021. He's almost gone the full year without an extra base hit. What, is, what screams about that, that he's going to produce runs? This year, he's hitting 233, 325, 233. That's egregious. His WRC plus is 63. That's not good. He stinks. Um, his average exit velocity is the ninth percentile. His hard hit percent, 10th. Pretty good. His barrel percent is the 1%. He does not have a single barrel. His expected slugging is 4. His expected bag average is 8. He chases a lot. He whiffs a lot. He's slow. What does he do? What the hell does Dom Smith do? Why is he here? I'm tired of him. Baldy, get over your ego. Cut him. Hell, he even has another minor league option. Use it up. I don't want to see him anymore. He's so bad. I think if you take a random fan and put them into a game or over 162 games, their offense would match Dom Smith. Dom Smith is literally equivalent to a fan in the street that got 162 games. He answers the question, would a random fan hit a home run? No, they would not because Dom Smith sucks. Finally answer that question. 
I am tired of him. I don't want to see this bomb, and I will not be speaking his name for, going forward. And one of my favorite <laughs> things to do is to look at spray charts because I always like to see like where do hits go, and I love seeing his spray chart has just all singles. It's seventeen hits, and they're all singles. His slugging matches his batting average because he only has singles, and that's actually right. what I was looking up. Um, I meant to add it in the the bad segment, but. The Nationals team slugging percentage is only like 80 points higher than their batting average, which just goes to show you that like they wow. have little to no extra base hits at all, which we knew. But just seeing the numbers right in front of you, it's just like, what a joke. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. Like, I, I guess the playing devil's advocate here, white people's favorite phrase, playing devil's advocate, just to piggyback off that, um, like Dom Smith plays good defense. But I also don't think people and or Mike Rizzo, David Martinez, whoever it is, realize how relatively easy it is to find a like adequate defensive first baseman and how even more easy it is to find a first baseman that's capable of extra base hit potential <laughs> and like like Donald's, you have one, you have Joey Manassas. Yeah. And it's like what the drop off between Dom Smith's defense and Joy Manessis's defense does not equal the drop-off between Joy Manessis's offense and Dom Smith's offense. Or if you want to throw Stone Garrett in there because he would be the DH over Dom Smith, like it still doesn't equate. Like defense matters, not trying to say it doesn't, but it's the same thing as like the righty lefty situations. Like people always say, and I know Davey Martinez has said this too. It's like, oh, we need a lefty on the bench for those matchups. Like that's more of a playoff team thing. If we're being honest, the Nats just need to employ the best players they possibly can, given the circumstances of the team and uh, monetary restriction, whatever. The re they just need to employ the best people. And I don't think Dom Smith is that. Like, it, you know, it's not hard to find a first baseman better than him. And that's kind of, to what Ryan was saying, like he has a legitimate point. People are going to hear what Ryan said and be like, oh, this guy, like he, you know, he's just talking out of his head. Like, no, Ryan has a legitimate point. Like, it's not hard to find a better first base, like all around first baseman. And first base is a position where you want your power to come from. Like, that, that's a position that isn't necessarily uh, like demanding of a premium defensive quality guy. Like, it's nice to have one for sure. I'm not saying it's not, but that that's not one where you typically make that trade because that's typically where you get a lot of your power guys playing. And Dom Smith certainly does not fit that role at all. Like it'd be one thing if he wasn't hitting home runs, but he was still hitting doubles. He's not even doing that. So it like, what, what is the line here? And I know Jesse Doggerty, friend of the show, he pushed back on it. He was kind of the catalyst in bullying David Martinez into not hitting Dom Smith second. So I thank you, Jesse, for that. Um, and hopefully we can now bully David Martinez and Mike Rizzo to getting Dom Smith off the team entirely because it, yeah, if you want to say the defense, it, like fine, but it, it's just not enough to save him from being cut, in my opinion. Um, he's not going to be cut. No, the, the no, he's not, refuses, but uses refuses to swallow his pride. Yep. I, I, I would say that, um, the bullying, like I know, I know these people have burners. And I would say that Davy's family would see it, but like three of his family members have me blocked on Twitter. 
So I need other people to step up the bullying so Davy's family members see it. <laughs> and so Davy starts making smarter decisions at manager. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to bully him into becoming a good manager. I believe in us. I think we could do it. I don't think we're good enough to. We, we've no, 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 no. We are. First of all, Amanda, I don't want to hear that negative talk around these parts. Second of all, we've done it twice already through 21 games. First, we bullied Davey Martinez into playing Stone Garrett after benching him for uh, inexplicably for six games in a row. And then just a few days later, we bullied him successfully into dropping Dom Smith in the order, despite hitting him second for like five straight games when he went like one for 30. It, we This can be done. We just have to believe. Just have to believe. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. All right, let's move on. Alex Call is in our ugly segment. Yeah. Speaking speaking of Alex Call, um, it's kind of funny because when he was DFA'd, it was reported that like the Nats were excited he was DFA'd and they couldn't believe it. They're like, wow, look at the Guardians, who are a very smart franchise, right? <laughs> DFA DFA this guy. Like, what are they thinking? Yeah, what they're thinking is he stinks. His last seven games, he's slashing 118, 250, 118. His last 15 games are not much prettier. That's basically almost the entire season. He stinks. Um, on the season, he's slashing 200, 324, 267. That's bad. With a 71 WRC+, plus, that is also very bad. He has a 591 OPS. And what, like, doesn't make sense... Well, I'll say that I'll say that point in a second. Yeah, he he's not good. Like Lane, like Lane Thomas is fine. Lane Thomas's ceiling is a fourth outfielder. Like he would be a fine bench outfielder for you. Alex Call's ceiling is below that. Like mm-hmm. Alex Call is maybe a fifth outfielder, and we're really starting to see that he doesn't chase, which is great. He doesn't swing often, but the problem is when he swings, he doesn't make good contact. His average exit velocity is in the seventh percentage, which came up, by the way, because entering the Twin Series, he had the third worst average exit velocity in the league. His hard hit percentage is where Dom Smith is. His barrel percentage is a little bit higher than Dom Smith. Like, he's not good. He's not making good contact. I just don't see the tools that kind of got this team excited for him to be here, which is really, really interesting. What makes it even funnier is... Dave Martinez said that C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia had to earn the right to bat higher yep, in the lineup. Yep. Alex Call immediately leads off. What the hell did he do to earn it? And so far, nothing. He stinks. He I guess all good. you can say is that he walks. He walks a lot. I guess maybe that's the only. I'm trying. I mean, I'm being generous. <laughs> I, and, and I know I and I appreciate that you are. It is a good mindset to consider. But like he has a 3.24 on base percentage. That's a lowly average yeah. right but on a 200 batting average so a lot of that on base percentage is coming from walks and they they don't really have a decent leadoff option so i guess to me it's like no he didn't do anything to really earn it but i don't know who else are you gonna hit up there <laughs> well it's not like he's um sir don't hear what i'm not saying but it's not like he's Juan Soto where he's batting like 200 but still has like a 400 on base percentage because he walks so much mm-hmm. like he he's he walks a lot but he cannot do anything else and that that's my point this isn't to shit on alex call i I don't think he he's a bad ball player but he's being used poorly he's being used in a role that is beyond him 
like to Ryan's point, he would be on this team. He would be a fine fourth outfielder on almost any other team. He would be a fine fifth outfielder. Like he does things well that warrant a conversation for a roster spot, but he doesn't do much well that warrants an everyday spot or particularly a leadoff spot. Yeah. He walks. Yeah. He sees pitches. Yeah. He doesn't chase a lot, but like he, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He's not convincing. He basically what he is, is a pesky out which can be valuable at times, but that's a good asset to have off the bench. Like the, the way he's kind of been used with stone Garrett, getting the starts every day in left field, love that. And then if you want to use him in an eighth inning replacement, defensive replacement, fine. But also like stone Garrett hasn't been all that terrible defensively. Like his arm is like weird, but also Alec Alex Hall has like a terrible arm as well. So it's you're not getting a huge upgrade there. Like, um, but I, I guess for speed and range, Alex calls a defensive upgrade over Stone Garrett. Like, but that that's my point. Using him as a fourth outfielder behind Robles, Thomas, and Garrett, that's fine. What we can't be, you know, doing or entertaining is everyday guy, everyday leadoff guy, just because he sees pitches. Guess what? If the pitcher throws strikes, Alex Hall's screwed. I think it was Sunday where he started. Maybe it was, no, it was probably the Saturday game because Stone Garrett didn't play. Like, yeah, he walked twice, but his other three at-bats, he struck out. He was the only person in the lineup without a hit. Like, because that's who he is. He's not going to be all that convincing with the bat. He's just going to find ways on base by working counts. He's the perfect ninth hitter every fourth day. That's what he is. He's a pesky out, and that's what he should be used as. But instead, Davey's batting him leadoff. Like, 67 percent of the time yeah well it's hard to argue with that so i'm like i said i don't think he's going to change that i think he's going to keep doing it because he's going to say oh he's a guy who sees a lot of pitches he's a guy who walks a lot we're going to keep him up there at the top of the order but we shall see okay well that uh no we have one more let's oh, talk oh yeah don't skip this of, one speaking of enigmas let's talk about victor robles <laughs> Listen, I it was my bold prediction that there would be a time this season that I would root for Victor Robles. I thought it would be much sooner than I expected because of the way he started. But I'm always right. And Victor Robles, once again, proved me right. He has been terrible as of late. And not only that, like we I said the same thing for Stone Garrett. We weren't going to expect him to hit mid 400s for the entire year. and you know, continue his pace throughout the entire year. And even if you look at it right now, he's still batting 290. And you're like, well, what's the problem? Look at the last it's in free fall. Right. It, it's it's Ryan hit it on the nail on the head two weeks ago when he was last on the show. He said Victor Robles is due for like an 0 for 50 streak. And we're honestly getting damn near close to it. Like that, yeah, he wasn't going to go 0 for 50, but you know, the free fall is in full effect right now. Like it went from a 450 batting average to like a 290 in like four games. Yeah. Like it it was because the Nats had two off days this week. Like it's in pure free for all. But like not only that, you know, production aside, the approach is completely different from how it was for the first two weeks. Like it's reverting back to the Victor Robles of old, like the Victor Robles we've seen, you know, the past couple of years. And that's really concerning because the things that were making him so successful was the different approach, was the, the, discipline was the you know perceived maturity that we 
you know, had been desiring to see from Victor Robles. And all those things are just out the window right now. There was a play on Sunday. Keep in mind, the final score was three to one. Like runs matter. If it was a seven to one loss, if it was a 10 to nothing loss, like it's just a, a tiny footnote in what was just a, a lost game. But this one was a, a game that like could have been had. And there was a situation. CJ Abrams, dog, finds his way on base. And I don't get why the Nats keep doing this. Rather than just letting CJ Abrams steal, like if he gets thrown out, he gets thrown out, whatever. But rather than just letting him steal, they like insist on letting Victor Robles try to bunt for a hit. It's not even a sack bunt. Like he's actively trying to bunt for a hit with CJ Abrams on base. It makes no sense. They've done it like 10 times already this season. Um, but same situation. Victor Robles manages to bunt it all of two feet. Um, the catcher for the Twins, Jeffers, wisely picks up the ball, throws a dart to second base to nail the lead runner. That's how you're taught. Bad bunt. You know, we're, the worst case scenario should have been you just lose the, the lead runner, but you still retain a runner on first. Victor Robles decides not to run, and the bunt turns into a double play. Like, how many times have you seen a bunt turn into a double play? Yeah, that was dreadful. That it, it, it was it was so bad. And it's just like, yeah, a that's base teeny, running. Tiny little dribbler right now. Like, we oh. know Victor Robles has had base running mistakes plenty over the past couple of years, but like this was base running, but it was also just like the the pure lack of effort that just disgusted me and like reminded me of why this whole thing, my agenda against him started. Because I'm right. Like, this is just who he is. Like, he he lacks the effort. Yeah, he has flashes of brilliance. That's what made him a top prospect. Like, of course, it's still there. I'm not saying he's, like, a bad ball player, but he lacks the discipline to to really, like, do it consistent, consistently. And, like, we're seeing Victor Robles revert back to these old bad habits that we hoped, that we thought were gone, and they're not. And, you know, we need to kind of realign our mindset on him again because he's bad he's bad yeah um he definitely has re- regressed um which we you know we're expecting would happen he obviously wasn't going to hit 450 all season but i mean even with the regression he's still you know his k percentage whiff percentage that stuff is still really high the chase rates at 54 which is you know distinctly mediocre um but yeah, I mean the eyeball test tells you that he's he's reverting back to a lot of the things that were problematic in the past. That that one that play you referenced where it was a butt into it that turned into a double play was just infuriating to watch. But hey, yeah, he's um he's he's Victor Robles. He's uh he's second on the team in war. Victor Robles giveth, oh Victor God. Robles taketh. Oh god, that's he's- so that makes me sad. I mean, this team's absolute dog walker. His defense is carrying him too, but also no, his offense. He actually, he, yeah, I was gonna say his offense actually probably got him to a pretty good cushion to start. I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because his defense is abysmal. I've not like I don't talk about Victor Robles a lot on Twitter. I never really joined in when a lot of people were. Yeah, this was this was my war. Correct thing about Victor Robles, it was your war, and I never said that because he was a positive defender in center field. Like, in 2022, he had a 12 defensive run save, and he had six outs above average. Pretty good. I, I, I don't care what you hit. If you're doing that in center field, that's fine. But that 12 was kind of, like, 
way down from where he was in 2019. The defense was bad in 20. It was bad in 2021. But he bounced back, so I never really said anything. He's been abysmal in the outfield this year. He has a negative seven defensive run save. That went up in the twin series, by the way. He had a couple of very nice plays. So his defensive run, defensive run save went up to negative seven. His outs above average is negative one. His like his zone rating is just completely down. It's way, way worse than ever is in his career. He's not covering as much ground as he used to, which is people are like, well, that's not true. Like I've seen him make a couple nice catches against wall. the eyeball test. Right. But he's not getting to like balls he used to in the past, which is rather interesting. He does this at times. He's a very streaky guy, but he'll go on these heaters with the defense. But this is kind of concerning. Um, 2020 was his worst defensive year. He had negative four DRS and only a two uh, outs above average. He's well below both. That's going to be something that's important to keep an eye on because forever, I never really cared about the bonehead mistakes. I never really cared about the bad offense because what he's providing in defense right now, he's absolutely egregious out there and he's not even close to replacement level. That's an issue. The one thing that I do think is pretty funny. So many people on this team make boneheaded decisions. The coach is an idiot. He makes dumb decisions every day. Half the roster makes dumb decisions. But the only person this coach calls out is Victor Robles. It's so, it's so funny to me. Same as the media, like Dom Smith got picked off and the media was like, man, gotta give him credit for great hustle. There. Down. Yeah. It's so weird. Be consistent. Like call every single person out. Victor Rolis deserves to be called out. He's a dummy at times. As you guys talked about with the bunt, he's a, he's a dummy. He does a lot of things that just don't make sense, but so does everyone else on his team. Call everyone out. Don't care that his offense is regressing. He's going back to where he is. He will continue to slide over the next month. That's going to happen. This team's got to figure out what the hell's going on in the outfield because his speed's not really there. His arm looks worse despite him having a very good throw in the twin series. What the hell has happened? Because his one value right now isn't there. Yep. Uh, two final points really quick. Man, I, I don't mean to steal the, the, the show here. No, um, do it. The... Ryan mentioning the bunt again remind me of another bunt in the same series where CJ Abrams had the base stolen like the best jump you could possibly get without just like letting him take without it being defensive indifference like he was basically standing on second base by the time the pitch got to home plate that's how good of a jump he goes and rather than taking the pitch Victor Robles bunts a foul Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Good Or or maybe it was a swing, but, like, regardless, take the goddamn pitch. Right, don't you just lean back when you see he got the jump? Yeah, like, literally take the strike. Like, who cares if it was ball or strike? You're letting, you're advancing the runner by doing nothing, and then you get a chance to to get an RBI there. Like, the, the lack of baseball awareness by Victor Robles, but also this team is just astounding, and that goes back to the manager stuff uh final thing um i'm gonna just go ahead and revoke my bold prediction for this year officially and i will say this on the first ever episode of this podcast uh, i made some waves uh, with my introduction to the podcasting world by saying victor robles this was back in 2019 if you're uh new to the show uh back in 2019 i said victor robles was trending towards a flashier michael a taylor verbatim those are my words 
Um, and I was right to an extent. Well, he's worse. Bingo. Yeah, I was gonna say Michael uh, A. Taylor bingo. just did a monster home run against bingo. us. Actually. Bingo, bingo, bingo. <laughs> he is worse than Michael A. Taylor. Like I was right. I just didn't realize how right I was gonna be. Like Michael A. Taylor had like a 440 foot home run this series. Granted, it was off Patrick Corbin, so it doesn't really count. But like he's able to do that. Victor Robles like is approaching Dom Smith territory with like how little you know home run potential he can do, which is crazy because that's the kind of prospect he was touted as. And uh, the fact that he had seven, uh, I don't believe he had seven home runs last year. Like I just don't believe it. I know that's what baseball reference says. I know that's what his stats. I don't believe it. There's no way. So he is worse than Michael A. Taylor. So I was right. I want to give myself a second victory lap because I didn't realize how right I was. I think you've taken more than two victory laps on that one, but I'll allow it. Uh, I only counted two so far. So, <laughs> All right. Before we move on, uh, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys. Uh, next segment we are going to do is a fair or foul. Are y'all ready? I just got my coughing out of the way, so let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay. Um, Stone Garrett is traded at the deadline. No, not uh, with the. There is some bias here, but also just looking at the makeup of this front office, they're not going to trade the good story. They know that Stone Garrett is popular amongst fans and they're going to do anything to save face and trading Stone Garrett. Not that he's on the same level as a Max Scherzer or Juan Soto or anything like that, but trading like the fan favorite again is just not going to be something they even entertain. And they also won't obviously get the Max Scherzer or Juan Soto package in return that like makes that trade worthwhile. So I don't think there's any way they trade him. They'll send him down to AAA before they trade him. All right. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, foul. And so, I mean, I could just kind of see him doing like with Manessis and just hold on to him. Yeah, exactly. Just hope. I just hope yeah. he's better than Manessis. Yeah, I actually agree with you guys that they won't trade him. I'll call this one a foul, but uh, they should because if he has a decent, if he's if he has having a decent year up to that point, they ought to see what they can get for him, but they won't. I mean, they won't even play him enough to get to that point. So it's kind of a <laughs> moot point. All right. Next one. Patrick Corbin finishes the year with an ERA under five. Foul. Yeah. Come on. Let's, let's not get crazy. I know it's fair or foul. I'm just saying you could put the over under at like 6.3. 6.3. I All would right. still probably say foul. You'd say foul on that. Where do you think he finishes? 6.4. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Okay. We were just talking Robles. So I had these uh, chosen before we had that long Robles conversation. But my uh, the third one here that's Nats related is Robles finishes the year hitting under 210. Ah, uh, 
That's a good line. Yeah, that was um, a hard one. I almost said 220, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to make it no, 210. is a good line. <laughs> no, I... I just I, I say foul. Um, I think he ends closer in the two thirty to two forty range. I'll say foul as well, just because he's had a pretty decent start, and like Ryan said, he's pretty streaky, so he's going to be a Babip singles merchant here, and he he's good for a, a bunt. Of, he's good for weird ways on base. Like he's always been kind of a master at that. Um. So I'll say foul. I think he's probably around the 220 range. All right. Okay. The next three are going to be more broadly MLB, not just Nats related. Um, first one is the A's will remain an unsuccessful franchise in Vegas and will change locations again within 20 years. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I say fair. I don't think their path to success is as easy as the other teams that went there. Um, partially fair. Uh, I don't think they changed locations, but I don't think they're good in the next 20 years either. Yeah. And I, I go with fair on this one. I think that they're not going to draw, uh, enough fans there. They're not going to be any, maybe more successful than they've been in Oakland, but I think the team's going to continue to be pretty bad. And even if they improve on the field, I don't think that the, the city is going to embrace them the way they have the golden Knights or even the Raiders. Um, I just, I don't see them being like becoming part of the fabric of that city and becoming beloved or anything. And I think maybe it's not within 20 years, but I think eventually they're out of there. I, I don't think Vegas is the place for them. Culturally. I think they were the worst fit for Vegas and that's not a shot against the players. It's just, they don't, they're known for not spending money. They're known for not being flashy. They're known for trading away anything that isn't nailed down. Even the stuff that is nailed down, like, you know, your three time manager of the year, you're just giving him away to the Padres. People forget about that. Yeah. Like they're just not the Vegas mantra. Like, I don't think the Raiders are either. And obviously, Chargers fan, so biased, but like the Raiders have had relocated multiple times and still retain their fan base. So moving a couple hours east to Vegas was not a big deal for them. Um, and then obviously, the Knights were the first expansion team and had pretty good marketing with that whole ordeal. Then obviously making the Stanley cup in their first year. Like, so they had all that going for them. Whereas the A's certainly are not going to make the world series. They have a decent fan base, but I don't think that fan base is going to follow them to Vegas uh, like the Raiders did because NFL, you only get eight or nine home games. So it's much easier to retain a, a fan base as opposed to 81 home games. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think their work is really cut out for them and I think they're going to really struggle and MLB is not really going to do anything about it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I know Vegas pretty well. My family lived there for like 50 years. I lived there You're for heathen. a while. I, I just, I think part of the reason that the Golden Knights have been so popular there is because they were, they were, their whole, ta- their tagline is Vegas born. Like it's the first team that ever yeah was their, actually created in their Vegas. marketing was like really really good like yeah. we obviously played them in the in the stanley cup and i was like man i don't hate this team like no. they were pretty, yeah. pretty also cool. also like they were doing work in the community and then like the vegas massacre happened the entire city rallied around them yeah and right. like it, that helps you get embedded to that community so well and obviously the run helps as well like they are deeply embedded in that community i just i just don't see that for the eights 
I don't either. And that's to your point, Nick, is that like the Raiders fan base kind of comes with them and, mm-hmm. you know, will remain fans, even though they've moved to Vegas. I don't think that's going to be the case for the A's. And I don't think there's going to be a big fan base that develops for them in Vegas. So I just don't really, I think it was a bad decision for them. I think they should have picked a different city to move to, but I, I don't see them and, and whether, I don't even mean when I say a successful franchise, I don't, I don't even mean they're on the field results. I mean, like just as a franchise, like having, loyal fans, getting people into the ballpark. I, I just don't see it happening for them there. Ryan, this is probably a question for you, but oh well, I guess we don't know yet because we don't have like the the sample size of the A's playing in Vegas, but like with the lottery rules, right? Like the Nats, for instance, cannot pick in the lottery two years in a row, but some small market teams could. I don't know where the, the A's fall if they were in the same boat as the Nats where they couldn't do it two years in a row. But I would think Vegas is a bigger market, so that might also hurt them. No? Um, Vegas isn't a big – Vegas is still considered a small market. Yeah, they just are, probably because it's so new. Yeah, they're they're 40th in the Nielsen Disney market size. Um, I don't have, like, the exact number for what they are. For but, yeah, that's still not even close. Yeah. It's just – it's not a big market, so I, they won't even be considered a medium market either so that wouldn't impact them too much gotcha all right next one at least five teams will finish with a hundred losses or more this year math um <laughs> tigers yes Nats. Nats, yes A's, A's. yes reds probably Royals. Royals. Yeah, the Royals Rockies. is the one I'm trying to figure. Out. Okay. I'm um, saying I've got six. I've got six that I think it's a possibility. The Royals division is just so weak, and I know they're playing more other teams. And I guess uh, who was it? Bubik for their team is just had Tommy John, so I guess that. Yeah, I'll I'll say fair because yeah, that's six teams and. I don't see the Rockies being all that competitive and like probably not the Reds either. Yeah. So I'll say fair. There are currently nine teams on pace to lose a hundred or more games, but um, currently on pace lose a hundred games for the Giants, the Rockies, the Reds, the uh, sorry, the Cardinals, the Nats, Um, and then the Tigers, White Sox, Royals, A's are all on paces 100 games. Yeah, obviously, I don't think the Cardinals lose 100 games, but the, Giants, the, White Sox the, the Giants and White, the White Sox, Sox are egregious right now. Yeah, they're pretty. The Giants will be okay because I do think Kapler's a good manager. And that's probably another good question for another time is how much can't, like, how, if you're thinking of manager war. Like how many wins can a manager add or take away? That's, That's pr- probably a good topic. conversation to get into later on. Um, but I, yeah, I don't think the Giants finished with 100 losses, and I don't think the Cardinals do. But I mean, the White Sox easily could. It could just be one of those really, really bad years, like similar to like what the Twins do, where it's like they'll go 55 and 102 or whatever, 107, uh, 55 and 107 math. Um, but then next year they'll win 90 games. Like it could be like that for the White Sox. 
But I think with nine on pace right now, I think five plus. I'll go fair on that for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably a fair. Which another conversation that would be fun to have in another episode maybe is how the new scheduling is maybe leading to more teams losing more games because everybody's playing everybody. All right, I'm going to get a little bit, uh, I'm going to stir the pot here with this last one. Soto finishes the year hitting under 260 and doesn't get a contract as big as what the Nats offered him. Well, he still has another year before. Foul, foul the agency. Foul the both, all right. Yeah, foul, foul the both. His batted ball profile right now is elite. Like, his, the results are going to start coming. Uh, it's just in the mental thing, and he's still going to get 450. Yeah, his like his um attributes, I guess, project to age very well. Um, like just his approach and obviously his on base percentage and um you know, I, I don't think anyone was like too crazy about his outfield prospects to begin with, but you know, with the DH in both leagues, like it's not really an issue because of just the overwhelming offensive production he's gonna get, even though he's not necessarily hitting extra base hits right now but we also know extra base hits are well within his his uh range of potential outcomes as well we've seen it more often than not uh basically from my understanding is he's kind of just being a little too passive with his approach right not his approach but like his uh swing choices right now and he could stand to swing a little bit more um similar to the k bear ruiz situation but Obviously, he's still getting on base in a, a crazy clip because he's Juan Soto. Um, and all those things are still very valuable to teams. And also, his, his agent is Scott Boris. Like, Scott Boris is going to get him that deal one way or another. Scott Boris is good for baseball. Whether you like to hear it or not, he's good for baseball. And uh, he, he'll get that contract. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think it's totally foul on this one. I thought I would get a better reaction from you guys, like be all mad about it. I was hoping to stir the pot a little bit, but <laughs> it didn't really work. But yeah, this is foul. He's going to definitely figure it out. I mean, he's got the yips right now pretty badly, but. Actually, he is going to hit 230, tank his value, and come back to D.C. on a Yes. You heard it here first. And then there's going to be a... Uh article from a particular Nats blog that says he's not worth it and that we should just pay Matt Adams instead. And also credit him. Credit 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 him. <laughs> credit him. He was first. Oh goodness. Oh goodness. All right. So that is our fair or foul segment for tonight. Okay, before we finish up, let's do our one big thing. What do you guys got tonight? I think I kind of blew my load a little bit and talked about the expansion uh, at the start of the show. That was going to be my thing to to wrap up with. I guess we can talk about the Pirates because I mentioned the Rangers last week, but the Pirates are definitely the team I meant to mention. I think I was just kind of in a like delirious state with being under the weather, but the Pirates have been cool to, to watch, and this is all in spite of the a terrible O'Neill Cruz injury, which is just devastating to the team. But seeing them be able to still, you know, put together an exciting brand is good. Um, I, it's not that I want the Pirates to fail. I certainly don't. I actually kind of like the the Pirates, and I love PNC Park. Just I don't want that owner to have anything 
good in his life, uh, just the way he manages that team. Uh, but as far as the on-field product, like I think they're managed pretty well. They uh, actually extended their manager after getting off to the start they did, which I thought was a pretty cool sign of of good faith, like rewarding good management. Um, they're also getting like really good production from their pitchers, which isn't likely to continue. But hey, good start's a good start. I would kill for a good start right now rather than talking about the team the the way we're talking. Uh, but no, it, it's cool to see these. Uh, I, I like a good underdog story. I like it in every every single sport. That's why, like, if you want to go to hockey, since the Caps were the first team to, uh, like, DC team to to win a title. Like, now I didn't, he's talking I, about the Caps in their one big thing. I, I didn't want – I'm using it as an example. I'm not just talking about the Caps. <laughs> There's a difference. Let me finish. Like I was okay with like the blues winning because that that's an underdog. It was like, it's one thing when the lightning go back to back and it's like, that's just boring. It's another NBA is just like way too far where it's just that the warriors every year or whatever, whatever team LeBron's on or KD's on, like that's just too far. I like the underdogs and I'm not saying there's going to be an underdog this year to, to win it all in, in major league baseball. Like that, that's a grind. And typically the best team uh, comes out on top or one of the, the top four or five teams or whatever, but it is nice to to have these underdog stories while they last. So it's cool to see a team like the, the Rangers and the Orioles and, and the pirates, you know, get off to these good starts because, you know, even though they have terrible ownership, I think it is good for baseball to see, you know, these young guys do pretty well. Yeah. I, um, I, the pirates have been super fun um, to watch. However, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're frauds because oh, they're definitely frauds. Yeah, they have played this month the Reds, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Astros, the Cardinals, the Rockies, the Reds again. They have a three-game series coming up against the Dodgers, and then they play the Nats. Like this is this is what I was just saying about the new schedule and how it affects how it's affecting things. Like their schedule right now has been so, so easy. And they're a fun story, and McCutcheon being back is awesome. And the fans there deserve a lot better than what that crappy owner has given them. And I'm happy that they're enjoying this, but they're totally frauds. For sure. But there's something to be said about beating the teams you're scheduled to, to play. Mm-hmm. Like, it, oh, yeah. It's, it's just that they're not going to be this good when they're scheduled. Oh, for sure. Start. For sure. Like, you know, the sample size is still so small right now. But, you know, you, you play who you play and you either beat them or you don't. And they're beating them yeah. right now. They deserve something. And they credit. should be. They're beating the teams they right. should beat, which is. A good thing. What do you got, Ryan? You know, I got nothing. <laughs> Fair no enough. Big, no big thing. Everything's mid. All right. Well, I've got that uh, Vladdy Jr. hates the Yankees, and he is all of us, and that was really fun. I don't know if you guys caught this story. Oh, they are definitely going to have a brawl, and it's going to be fun. Right? Yeah, it's uh, and I love that it brought up when people were talking about this. The um, there's an article in the Athletic where they talked about in 1995 Ken Griffey Jr. You guys rem- remember this or ever read about this? Yeah, he, uh, he, would, he would never play for the Yankees. If the Yankees were the last team, if yeah. they were the only team that gave me a contract, I'd retire. And I'm just always here for Yankees slander. So I I really loved the fact that Vladdy was just like, yeah, I hate the Yankees and badly want to beat them and his play reflects that he plays really well against the Yankees he plays well in New York it's my wagon brother I know it is I know you love you some Vladdy Jr 
MVP. All right. Well, is that everything? You guys got anything else before we get out of here? Nope. I'm good. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Um, we always appreciate it. Make sure you're uh, checking everything out over at the website, also at District on Deck, um, halfstreethighheat.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Half Street High Heat. You can follow Nick at The Coach Moose. You can follow Ryan at We Are All Shack. You can follow me at A White at A White 7877. And uh, we'll see y'all next week. Let's go, Nats. Later. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go Nats. we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.